Hi, welcome back to the Georgetown Public Policy Review podcast. I'm joined here today with Stephanie Reeves with the American Psychological Association. She is the Deputy Chief Public Policy and Engagement. Stephanie, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. And thank you, Jasmine, for inviting me to speak with you today. So as mentioned, I am Deputy Chief of Public Policy and Engagement for APA. My role is managing our team who advocates on issues that more or less relates to psychology in the public interest. And so psychology as it affects the general population. So if you're thinking about uh, different issues from poverty, homelessness, gun violence, our team covers those issues in our advocacy efforts on the federal level. I am actually returning. I've returned to APA. I actually did a stint with APA back in early 2010 and afterwards was the executive director of the Maryland Psychological Association. I have always been in advocacy, particularly working at different associations in healthcare. I'm also sort of an association geek. I'm a proud member of the American Society of Association Executives, having served on their board of directors and uh, currently a fellow for the association. I'm a native Washingtonian. And when I say native, I mean, I was born in the city of Washington, D.C., not Maryland, not Virginia, even though Virginia, Maryland is my home now. I am a middle child of uh, older sister, younger brother, proud Washingtonian, um, even though I'm now a Marylander. I am a um, pet parent to an eight-year-old Pomeranian Chihuahua Terrier mix who hopefully will be quiet throughout this discussion, but we shall see. But that's just a little bit about me. Thank you so much for sharing. I am a huge dog lover and so excited to touch base about this Pomeranian in a later discussion. Um, But more seriously, thank you so much for your work on such important topics as you touched on poverty, violence, gun violence, so they're all very important issues, especially to our nation at this moment. You mentioned the American Psychological Association. It is the largest scientific and professional organization of psychologists in the U.S., and many are familiar with the APA. But for those who are not, can you give us a little bit more background on what it is? Sure. So we are a membership association, as you've pointed out. We have over 140,000 members across the United States and actually across the world. And our majority of our members are psychologists, but we also have student members. The psychologists are either clinicians, they're researchers, they work in academia. They are psychologists who may not be even currently practicing psychology. They work in a variety of different fields. Like many associations, APA, provides continuing education through their annual conference and other workshops and conferences. They provide leadership opportunity. We have 52 divisions, which are our special interest groups. And again, they range from division that covers women's issues, one that covers children, those who are psychologists with the ability to prescribe medication, those who work with the military. So we have special interest groups for any of our members to join with a particular interest area. APA is located in Washington, D.C. We have probably about 500 staff. So we are a fairly large organization. But if you think about psychology and the impact just in everyone's daily life, it probably makes sense that we have such a large organization. 
Absolutely. The member program and the APA is incredibly robust. Many of our podcast listeners are students and academics. How would they become members and join these conferences and events? So our our organization activities are not just open to APA members. So um, non-members are welcome to attend many of uh, APA's programming from sometimes we have webinars that are available to non-APA members to our conference. So conference is available as well. For those who might be interested in joining APA, we do have a full-fledged membership department, which can provide a lot more information. And obviously information is on APA's website on joining. And again, it's really geared, you know, if you have an interest, if you are a teacher of psychology in a high school, there are, there's programming and membership opportunities for you as well. So there's a variety of different ways for people to get involved with APA who have that vested interest in psychology, but there's also opportunities for those who may not currently be a psychologist, but have an interest. Yes, absolutely. I'm very excited for information on how to get involved to be shared through the GPPR podcast, especially since at the end you mentioned that those that might not even be explicitly interested in psychology might have some overlap. And so that's what really interests me the most is how this all comes together. Switching gears a little bit and beginning to talk about that topic, what role does psychology play in our everyday lives? Well, I think we can approach this from a couple of different ways. I mean, and and so I will I will leave the mental health piece as the second part. But if you think about again your daily life and all the things that are invited and included in society, and you know, as I mentioned, all, my team in particular, we look at those like kind of broad societal issues. So if you think about homelessness, many of our members have done extensive research on homelessness and the aspects to it, you know, the the social economic factors that may be involved in someone becoming homeless and the support systems that are needed to be in place for those who may be homeless at the moment and how to transition them into stable housing, for example. So that's one aspect to it. Thinking about gun violence, again, we have done a lot of research in the area of gun violence in terms of the mechanics of it, you know, who is likely to versus who most likely is not to be a perpetrator of gun violence, you know, how it impacts a community, not just from a mental health perspective, but just even broadly. So a lot of the research that we do as or as an or you know our members do um, within our organization those are the things that inform a lot of what happens in your daily life so that's where we can make a contribution to society the other aspect is obviously the mental health part I mean I think anybody who is listening to this know have heard that we are in a mental health crisis and we've been in a probably a crisis a lot longer than I think people realize I think it's just magnified particularly with the pandemic and the uh, racial reckoning and all the other things that have occurred over the last three years we still have stigma but I think if there's been any benefit that people are now more open and willing to talk about mental health. And so it is in our, you know, it's right there for us to look at and to experience. But we're, you know, again, we're in crisis mode. And so we we work very hard to deal with that in many different aspects to it. But it's not something that we will see 
a resolution to you sooner rather than later because of a number of different factors involved. And so those are some of the ways that psychology kind of play into our daily lives. Wow, absolutely. Thank you so much. I was just reading an article yesterday where the APA was cited and had estimated this year that there were just 34 licensed psychologists for every 100,000 people in the U.S. And that is such a daunting statistic. And as you noted, we're in a crisis and we need attention on this issue now more than ever. And it sounds like there is a lot of opportunity for the general population to get involved, especially as you noted that there is a lot of research crossover when we're talking about psychology, we're also talking about socioeconomics as well as demographic factors and other areas of research. So that is very, very important to know. Are there any notable policy wins from this past year that you would like to update listeners on? Sure. You know, we saw some really good things come out, particularly from the omnibus, but even beyond there, we worked hard on the gun violence bill that passed out out of Congress and was signed by the president. We see it as a good start because there hasn't been real gun legislation in a while. We see it as a start. We know that there's a lot more that needs to be done and a bill doesn't just automatically make the problems disappear, but it's on. it gets us on the road to that. And so that's one area that we have, you know, been active in and very proud of. I think, you know, the establishment of the dedicated line for mental health crisis. And I think even the publicity around that, because as I pointed out, you know, that stigma still exists. And there are people who are still fairly uncomfortable with talking about mental health, not just from a personal aspect, but if you think about it from, you know, workplace perspective, you know, uh, professional, what have you. But knowing that there's been this broad promotion of this mental health crisis line, I think has, you know, is really a sea change that we have seen in the last year. And, you know, you were talking about things that you have seen. I, I saw a commercial uh, just yesterday with a member of the Baltimore Ravens football team talking about if you need help, please contact this crisis center. And I don't think you would have seen that probably even a year ago, maybe two years ago, to see, you know, uh, athletes talk about not only their mental health struggles, but also promoting opportunity for people to, you know, make a phone call to try to see, to seek out help and support for that. So those are a couple of instances where we really saw some good policy wins on the legislative side as well as the regulatory side as far as mental health is concerned. And then there's just, you know, additional funding that came out of the omnibus bill that passed last December that provided some additional funding for maternal mental health, for example, is one that helped researchers in the Veterans Administra- uh, Veterans Affairs Administration. So, uh, so many different areas where we've seen some progression of resources to help us again address this crisis that we're in. That's wonderful. It sounds like while we're still working to create the access for mental health care, the activism and technology that we're seeing can still work to eliminate that stigma. And that is a huge win, along with all of the activism that the American Psychological Association is really pushing for. So that is wonderful. And I'm very excited to see what all is going to continue to occur this coming year. And on that note, are there some public policy trends in regards to mental health that you believe we will see in the 118th Congress? We acknowledge that we saw some increases in funding and some new funding streams for 
addressing mental health, but I would be hesitant that any to say that anyone will say the work is done. Absolutely. The work always continues. I think that is very true for really whatever issue that you are advocating for in any type of activist work or any sort of advocacy. There is always some continuation of what happens because there's always a reaction to whatever policy has been recently implemented or other sorts of events that happen, there's always going to be a need to push for something else. I feel like issues more likely to evolve than be completely resolved. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think one where we will continue to see emphasis placed is youth mental health. I mean, we, you know, we've seen, we saw it addressed in, you know, the State of the Union a few days ago. Again, we're in crisis and it's crisis across the board. But we really are seeing it, you know, with youth mental health. And so I think one thing that we'll continue to see in this 118th Congress is a dedication to providing more resources, more reopportunity, more opportunities for collaboration, more work to be done to address the particular concerns where it comes to, you know, mental health, particularly youth mental health. And, you know, kind of going back to the previous question about, you know, some wins, one thing, you know, that I wanted to make sure I mentioned is that, you know, when we think about these issues, we think about it from a variety of different lenses, but we also, you know, we really look at things from a health equity lens. And so one thing that I think we're particularly proud of that came out of last year that I think will help have an impact is the Minority Fellowship Program, APA is a grantee of that program. And it basically helps provide funding to help develop psychologists, social workers, and other mental health professionals from traditionally underrepresented groups. And also look to provide funding for research into, you know, research that usually centered around these underrepresented groups. And there was an increase in funding for that. And so the goal is hopefully is to increase those numbers in the field, as you pointed out, in terms of just the numbers of psychologists available compared to population. If you think about it from even, you know, minority populations, that number is even smaller. And so the Minority Fellowship Program is one way for us to angle and get at that. And then looking at it from the lens of, you know, 118th, um, we know that this Congress is probably going to be a little bit more interesting just with the dynamics that are in play. But again, we continue to look at and lead with the science. That's one thing we say in our advocacy, we lead with the science. And so we you go by what the research says and the research is, you know, says things that are very particular and very clear. And that will help drive us as we go through and, you know, seek where we can find collaboration. I think that's going to be the important and key. This is, this is really going to be a time where we really are going to work with our coalition partners and, addressing these big key issues and finding those champions on both sides of the aisle because you know mental health as, as polarizing as we all see and hear about congress there are those who are really working together you don't hear that story because it's not as popular as people fighting you know but there are people who are working together to really try to address these issues you know again thinking about from youth mental health perspective and the and the like so we're, I think we're going to, you know, we're going to see those areas where it's like when the rubber meets the road, you're going to have to work together. And I think we're going to see some of that as we go forward. It's going to be probably a little bit challenging getting to that point, but 
the way it is divided up and such, I think we can't really move things forward unless there is, there is some collaboration involved. Wow, Stephanie, I have a lot of thoughts to share with you just regarding that. Mm -hmm. I'm very glad that we got to touch on that factor of mental health access. When we think about providing mental health access, it's also important for us to ensure that the workforce is equitable, culturally competent, vast, and accessible. And I love that you lifted up that piece. Additionally, as an intern with the APA, one of my first things that I learned was that there is a lot of bipartisan collaboration that I have seen regarding mental health and psychology. And it has been much more so than I have seen for many other issues that have been so polarized. And this alone keeps me incredibly hopeful for a better future. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we'll, you know, again, I, I think we, you know, that pendulum, I, I, <laughs> I, I obviously won't share my age, but I am old enough to remember where it was, you know, it, you know, collaboration was the rule of the day. And I think we're going to start swinging back to that. It's not going to be a, you know, an abrupt swing back, but I think gradually we're going to get ourselves back to where we need, you know, we need to work collaboratively to get to solve these big issues. That would be wonderful. And that does just give me a lot of hope to hear. How can we stay up to date with the APA? There, the best way is our website, which is uh, www.apa.org. Um, that will give you, you know, anyone interested information on uh, what we, you know, what our big issue areas are, which there, there's a number of them, um, what we're doing, how we're addressing some of these, again, larger societal issues. Um, you know, sometimes there are statements from our current, our president um, addressing some of these concerns, um, particularly because of the impact they have on our members. So there's some of those statements there. If you go to the website, you get to see kind of how our governance work in terms of our board of directors, as well as our council and some of those divisions that I referenced. So that's one best way to do that. But, you know, just like every other organization, you know, we're on social media, there are newsletters and such to sign up for. But those are some of the easy ways to just, you know, keep track of everything that's going on with the APA. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I will definitely take a look through the newsletters and also check the APA out on social media as well to make sure that I am staying up to date. And I hope that the other GPPR listeners are as well. Is there anything else that you have not discussed yet that you would like to share with us? Sure. Um, we talked a little bit about workforce. Some individuals have a certain view about those who will major in psychology. But I can tell you, you know, workforce is where you know, we we definitely need people in the field. We do. And again, that's across the board, psychologists, social workers, psychiatrists, licensed professional counselors. Again, if you think about just the fact that we're in the phase now where the baby boomers are retiring out of the field and the numbers are just not going to hold in terms of replacing those numbers. And so, you know, if you think about shortages of, of psychologists in rural areas, sometimes even urban areas, it's really key. So if you're listening to this, you can be interested in public policy and psychology, because again, they both go hand in hand. I actually have a degree in psychology with no, I did not intend to actually become a psychologist. I actually was going to go to law school and then came in, got into government relations and then it just stuck. I mean, I love it. So I, I'm actually a really good example of someone who 
majored in psychology and found their way into public policy. And so I would encourage people, you know, to get involved on that end. But I think if you are also interested in pursuing psychology to get into the mental health field, don't let anyone deter you from doing it, because I can tell you the need is there and the need is great um, across the board, no matter where you are. Uh, there is no area that has an overabundance of mental health professionals, none, not even if you think about I'm, I'm in the state of Maryland and you would think, oh, Maryland is, you know, they should be flushed because you're near the D.C. area. No, uh, particularly in rural areas of Maryland, there is definitely a, a lack of. So if you are still considering what your major is and you you're you're leaning towards psychology, but you're not quite sure, I would say and if, if you want to pursue it in mental health, go for it, because, again, the jobs are going to be there because the need is so great. And when we talk about crisis mode, you know, again, with people who are realizing and understanding and now comfortable with the idea of seeking out mental health services, those numbers are increasing, which again is a wonderful thing. We would want people to seek out help, but we don't have the numbers to match that. And that that is only going to increase. Please consider a career in, in psychology. But again, if not, again, if you're thinking about kind of what you want to do and you want to meld the two, you have an interest in psychology, but you also really like public policy, you know, again, I, I'm proof that it's um, viable. And Jaslyn is working with us. I would probably say it's probably an amazing experience. <laughs> and, you know, there's opportunities at, at these organizations, but there's opportunity at APA as well. I just wanted to put that plug out there. Absolutely. And I'm certainly enjoying my experience at the APA as an intern. I love all things public policy. And if you are a student looking for an internship, the APA is a wonderful place to intern. Um, so thank you for some light on that. We definitely need more psychologists out here. What is the importance of advocating for psychology now that we're on that note about public policy? Why do we need more advocacy? There's obviously the shortage of the workforce. Are there other issues that we also should be touching on before we wrap up? Sure. Common refrain that is always said in, in um, public policy and in advocacy is, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And that is clear basically for every organization, including psychology and psychologists. And so it's important that we are in these discussions. And again, thinking about the larger societal issues that we're dealing with, again, we have the research to inform whether it's reproductive health, whether it's gun violence, homelessness, social economic status, health equity, veterans issues, military. We can inform in those broad areas. And so the importance of us being on Capitol Hill, lobbying legislators, getting our members involved at the grassroots level, getting our members and our leadership, particularly in front of legislators when it's time to testify. Having that voice is so key and critical because I think, and I really credit, if we haven't been able to be in those conversations that we haven't, we wouldn't have been able to achieve what we've been able to achieve so far, as far as psychology goes. I mean, there's still a lot of work for us to do. If we weren't in those conversations, if we did not help inform, we probably would be further behind as far as mental health goes in terms of funding, in terms of attention from legislators, we would probably, we would be ignored. And so the advocacy piece is so key and critical for us, again, not just for those of us who are working on Capitol Hill, but again, getting our members involved. And I mean, we have 141,000 members, but that's not even 
all of psychology in even the United States. And so we, you know, and, and around the world. So we definitely benefit from strength in numbers. And that's why it's so important and critical for us to be involved in these advocacy efforts. Absolutely. There is a lot to be said about these one-on-one -on -one conversations that we have with legislators, whether it's sharing your individual story or having the opportunity to educate someone. So thank you so much for your multifaceted work in psychology. I hope that everyone learned a bunch today. I always am so fascinated by how interwoven all these public policy issues are and regarding um, public health, psychology, mental health, um, as well as, as you noted, socioeconomic issues, combating all sorts of violence and really just creating a better world for us going forward is truly so important that we seek areas of collaboration where we can with other advocates. Well, thank you so much, Jaslyn. This has been a fantastic conversation, and I truly hope that your listeners got something out of it and maybe even learned something new that they hadn't about psychology. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being with us, Stephanie.